Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the November mailbag edition of the Arsenal Women Askcast. I am your host, Tim Stillman. We are back after a completely unintended hiatus of six weeks, for which we really, really apologise for this kind of big gap. We usually try to do a podcast every fortnight. However, a mixture of... um, Having a guest lined up uh, for mid-October who had to reschedule and we're hopeful of being able to do that. Uh, You know, maybe that'll have to wait till after the Men's World Cup. And then the schedule in October has just been absolutely brutal, particularly being across the men's and women's teams where I believe there's been about 15 games in October. And on the women's side, most of those have been away games. So as you can imagine, trying to get time in, (laughs) To schedule one of these podcasts has been really, really tricky. And another one of the reasons it's been really, really tricky is because our co-hosts are also very successful, very in-demand people. Um, And one of them has been able to make it this evening, um, Alex Ibaceta. Alex, how's you? You've been jet-setting a lot with uh, (laughs) with Dazone, and I believe you were at the Classico yesterday. How's, How's your month been? Um, it's been hectic, to be honest, between football and I moved into a new place, so that was that was all very hectic. But yeah, I just I actually just got back today from Madrid. I went there for the weekend with the basis of going to a Clasico, a bit of work, a bit of holiday, a bit of everything really. Um, and yeah, before that, obviously Champions League was quite busy. Got to go to I was at Leon Arsenal actually, so that was that was my first away day of the Champions League season, and I can't really complain about that one. <laughs> And then PSG Chelsea too, which wasn't as good as Leon Arsenal, but we'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I mean, that just addresses how much has happened since we were last recorded in kind of late September. The 5-1 win over Leon, um, everyone getting injured, um, apparently. And now we're into a November international break and we've had, you know, Vivian Miedema being rested and et cetera, et cetera. But this is a mailbag edition, so all of that will surface in the questions, maybe except the Leon victory, actually, which um, I guess is kind of a shame. I really wanted to do a podcast immediately after that, to be honest, but I had to fly home at like 7 o'clock the next morning. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, family time and all of that. And... Yeah, so I didn't really get a big chance to respond to that. And then, like, the next day, I was I was off to Liverpool for the game there. So it feels like the Lyon game just still feels a bit like a dream. What was, what was I, I mean, you, you were pitch side, right? I was up in the gods yeah. in, the, in the press box. Like, <laughs> what was your impression? Because I tell you what my impression was, Alex. Two minutes into the game, I took a photo of the pitch because I was like, because obviously I was high up and I was like, I cannot believe the space that Leon are leaving us here. And I was sitting there going, surely they're going to close this up. And they just never did. No, it was, I was, yeah. So I was, I was the only one there doing my job. And I had 
the tough decision of having to pick which goal I go behind. Basically, <laughs> which and it's I mean it's a guessing game for anyone, isn't it? Yeah. I started with Leon, and about ten minutes in, I was like, Arsenal are, are they're going to get a goal? Like it's it's coming. So as I was walking round to the other side of the pitch, I was just about crossing the corner flag, and we scored. So I stayed behind Cristiano led the entire match to film all the Arsenal goals, and obviously I made the right decision. Um, yeah. But no, it was it was it was. I mean, you're in shock. You see, it was what three 0 at halftime. Yeah, three uh, one. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I mean, I took a I took a picture of the scoreboard because I just couldn't believe it. It. I was. All of us were in shock. It was just. It didn't make any sense. And the thing is that Arsenal played really well. There's not like there's not much to it. I mean, Leon, yes, have injuries and stuff, and but you still have Wendy Renard. You still have Lindsay Horan. You. I mean, you still have these players that are going to start in any of the teams. So that, I don't really see that as an excuse, but Arsenal played really well. They had nothing, you know, they went in there, had nothing to lose against the champions of the champions league. And it worked out in our favor. And I'm just, I'm, I, it does feel like a dream to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the, the Leon midfield, I mean, obviously Leon by their standards kind of struggling in the league as well. They, they drew a nil nil with, was it Gangon? Um Yeah this weekend but like yeah the, the midfield they started against Arsenal was Lindsay Horan Amandine Henri and Daniel van der Donk I mean the, yeah. there aren't many better midfields than than that depleted yeah. e- even without like De Brits and Marajan but yeah obviously still a lot to do in the group and everything like that and they'll come to the Emirates in December but let's crack on with the listener questions and I'm going to start in the Ask Blog Discord um, and the first question is Nono Sayogo, a uh, very clever username there, uh, based on Yaya Sanogo, the former Arsenal men's striker. In which area of the pitch do you think we lack depth? We've already had heavy rotation, forced or not, in defence and midfield, and the replacements have not only done a job, but been some of our best players, like Lotta Wubben Moy and Frieda Marnham. So which are there still, particularly as injuries seem to be piling up a little bit, are there... Is there a specific area in the squad that you still look at, Alex, and think, oh, if we got an injury there, I think we're in trouble? Well, I mean, you look at our centre-back situation right now. It's, you know, it's it's worked out having lots of stuff. Catley has worked out a lot better than I expected it to, to be, if I'm being completely honest. But when you look at full-backs, when everyone's fit, you have McCabe, Steph Catley, Noah Maritz, and um, Laura Vanuatu here on one side. Midfields don't even get started there. Wingers, Lena Hurtig, Beth Mead, uh, even Mana, Juan Stina. You know, we're, we're kind of stacked on that. But then you look at our two centre-backs. You, you, I mean, our little two centre-backs are injured right now. And you look at the backup and it's it's been not great. And again, Steph is not... I mean, Steph is an amazing player, but that's just not her position. And she has done a lot better than expected. And lots of... We've talked about it before, how she kind of... Lotz is one of those players that needs a big player next to her, if that makes sense. Like she feeds off the confidence of Leah Williamson and that just goes really well together. But to have her as kind of like the main, like the principal centre-back, it just changes dynamic around. And I think, yeah, centre-back is kind of the one position. And ironically, it has happened to us already. So, um yeah, it should. It's not great, but I think centre backs is where we're kind of most vulnerable. 
Yeah, yeah, especially given current injuries. For for me, it's still the number six position. Like if if Leo Volti um, isn't available, um, then it's it's Kim Little there really. But she's injured until the new year now, so I think we're definitely vulnerable there. And just generally, the number six position. I think uh, Jesse Parker Humphreys uh, wrote a really good piece about this last week. Something I've been banging on about, but they were writing about how there are just such a lack of top class number sixes in women's football at the moment and I think most smart clubs are going to have to repurpose players and you look at what Chelsea are doing with Erin Cuthbert um, I fancy we might have to either do that with Kim Little which I think we've done a little bit anyway or if we look in the academy and there's someone I don't know for example Taya Gold is a centre-back who can play there maybe if you're Arsenal you say okay we, we've got a bigger weakness in this position. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, not just Arsenal, how a lot of clubs deal with that particular position. But the, the next question from uh, MacN84, also from the Ask Blog Discord, when do you expect we might to start, start to hear news of contract talks for those out of contract next summer? I would, I mean, Tim, that's one for you, really. But I would, <laughs> I would assume not until... Well, I mean, obviously, January transfer window. I would assume it's going to be quite quiet, but I'm not too sure either. I would assume probably what, like March, is when contract stuff starts rolling out slowly. Yeah, yeah. When you look at the players that are out of contract, summer 2022, like Caitlin, Noel, Steph, they were all signed at the end of the season. To be honest, I think there was confidence in all of those. Obviously, Viv signed very late as well. I I don't think there was as much confidence there. So I think a lot of those were more or less agreed, but not actually signed till the end. So, you know, I wouldn't expect much different this year. But to be honest, I don't know exactly who is out of contract. I believe Beth Mead is. Um, And if you're Beth Mead's agent, you're probably waiting for another couple of like player of the year votes um, probably yeah. waiting for that. <laughs> Obviously, she came second in the Ballon d'Or in the end, but any good agent would have waited to see if she was the Ballon d'Or winner um, before you know negotiating a contract. So I, yeah. I, I wouldn't expect to hear anything to the second half of the season. And to be honest, contracts still really murky. <laughs> um, yeah, not, not, not in an untoward way, just like getting information on them, getting accurate information on them is is generally really really difficult i believe jordan Nobbs is out of contract as well um this summer and and i guess we'll see what happens uh with jordan's contract as well but yeah i i definitely wouldn't expect anything this side of christmas i think that will creep up you'll start getting questions in the press conferences in about january um i think but may, maybe i'll take the ball by the horns a little bit earlier um than that it's, so th- these are the questions from Twitter. And this first one, I think, touches on a, a subject I'm really, really interested in. I really like this question uh, for, from a regular, um, Marieke von Litt, um, whose name I probably mispronounced again. Um, we often feel bad when good players are benched, like Jordan, like Manor, but we also hate it when injuries leave us thin. Are we in the women's game too sensitive to feelings of players? Do we need to toughen up when it comes to not playing good players and putting out the best team? So I guess this is a question more around fan culture in women's football. Yeah, that's an interesting one. It's When, it, when you look at fan culture in the women's game, it is very player-based. and I'm not, I, I, Again, I don't mean it in a bad way, but it is, it is, there are a lot of fans that like players over club. And 
then it gets to the point where the player's emotions and kind of people's sensitivity towards certain players starts coming into the debate of whether they should play, whether they should be benched. So I do think in the women's game that does happen a lot. But I think for the most part, I think we're able to kind of put that inside and genuinely say whether players should play or not. Um, obviously, Mano being kind of the main focus of, of kind of that sensible... Um, I mean, I I do agree that what Yoda said was, was very... Um, I'm not really too okay with it either, but just for the situation. But in, like, if we were winning 2-1 and we could have conceded a goal, then that would have been fine. But it's just the way of doing it, which is a difference, but not the actual act, if that makes sense. Because um, the actual act of killing time as a sub is just very standard football. So it wouldn't have necessarily mattered, say, if we were going for a draw in the last few minutes. Um, but I do agree that in women's football, there is a lot of fan culture around certain players. And I think for the most part, we can be, we're fine with kind of separating it. But at times we do have that, that certain love for certain players that might get into our, our head um, to kind of affect our opinions. But for the most part, I think we're fine, I think, I would like yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think, um, and apologies, you might hear some fireworks in the background um, in, in a minute around my area. Don't know what that's about. Um, but I, I, I just, now I have a two-year-old, I hate fireworks. Sorry, I really hate them. Um, but I, I, think that's, I think that's exactly right. There is like a player-led culture. Lots of people, when you talk to them about why they support certain teams as well, it's because a player led them to that team because in women's football we don't have that kind of oh I support the team because like my dad and my granddad and my mum and my grandma like on on the men's side for example for me like it goes back to like my great grandfather so it's just like you support Arsenal because that's what you do but yeah. women's football is a little bit more rootless like we're creating those roots now like in 20 years 50 years people will say I support Arsenal women because my mum my dad my brother whatever but yeah. at the moment we're create like we're building this from the ground up so so it is a lot so people have um I was going to use the word spurious it's not spurious but like people <laughs> have those reasons for for supporting clubs and and I definitely think that that we we do do that more and like you say that's mm -hmm. not necessarily a bad thing i think it can veer into that sometimes with some yeah. people but generally speaking like <clears throat> people it's up to people how they feel about things and i i'm not like i'm not separating myself from that either i definitely have favorites like i think know, everyone naturally does it's i think it's more just about whether you're able to separate the yeah. players that you like versus a rational opinion, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, you feel closer to the players as well. Mm -hmm. Personally, if you go to the games, you probably get to meet them if you want to and things like that. And, 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 you know, I, I feel that like I have like a, I don't know, it's probably too much to say I'm like over-egging it to say a closeness to some players, but particularly like long serving players. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently with like Jordan Nobbs, because I'm really, really happy that she's getting so much love from Arsenal fans recently and I think a lot of that but I, I kind of feel a bit conflicted because on the other hand I, I do feel like it, there's a little bit of like sympathy there which is not wrong but I'm also like I don't want to patronize Jordan do you know what I mean mm -hmm. like yeah 
I don't. She's played nearly three hundred games for Arsenal. She's won X amount of league titles. Blah blah blah. Like, I I don't need to patronise Jordan Nobbs and say, oh, you yeah. you got on today, brilliant. Like, I I'm really conscious about not doing that, even though I think she should play more. But also, like you say, trying to separate the facts that she's been at the club a long time. She's one of my favourite players, unashamedly. So. I, it, it definitely comes into it and not just for yeah. fans as well. It obviously comes into it for journalists because you can build, potentially build a rapport with yeah. players that you and can't it's more, really do. It's, it's, it's also these players that you like and you follow, you know more, you naturally just know more about them as well. Yep. So when it comes from a journalism's perspective, it's just a lot easier to speak about them, to write about them, get information about them. Most of it that you probably know innately at one point or another. Yeah, um, you might so know members it, of it, their it just, family. Yeah, so it comes in naturally. It, it's just about recognizing it, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. Again, like not in a bad way. It's just, I think, yeah, just recognition of it and kind of not playing, not feeding into it as probably, as like, com- I don't know how to explain it, like committing to it fully yeah. without yeah. realizing what you're doing. Yeah, 100%. And actually, I think I really like this question as well because um, I, th- I think it maybe gets to the, the, the heart of the same thing. And obviously, as with every, every pod, like we get loads of questions about Viv. Like if Viv is playing brilliantly, it's like, Viv's brilliant. How are we going to keep her? And if she's not or a little bit below her standard, it's like, what's happened to Viv? Like, you know, there's naturally, I think she's like the most iconic player in the team. So a lot of the questions are about her. We had loads of questions about her. um, But actually, I'm just going to go with this one because I think it gets to the heart of the discussion and and it kind of covers everything. And it's from Caroline, who's uh, iron at iron underscore line 81. And she says, do you think people's opinions of Viv are being exaggerated? Her stats aren't awful. She's creating when she plays. Her goal against Ajax got us into the Champions League. I think perception is clouding opinion. She 100% has a lot to offer this team, and I think it's strange how many turn so quickly. And that also gets at the nature of um, a lot of the questions, which uh, you know have, have a big tone of, of concern over, oh my God, Viv, what's happened to Viv? She's out of the team, and now she's like been rested. And, and, and I completely understand that. But that's why I like that question. Do you think that we're too quick to go, oh my God, what's wrong with Vivian Miedema every time like she's not at the absolute top of her game? I would say we are, but I think that's just naturally as well. I think Viv has been at the centre of our success for the past few seasons already. So when you know a big player isn't performing as as well as you like, it's the same with any other team. You know, Chelsea has Sam Kerr. Man United will have Alessio Russo. Um, Man City would have say Ellen White used to be now Bunny Shaw. If Bunny Shaw has been scoring goals, if Bunny Shaw has stopped scoring goals and Man City are going to start questioning it. I think it's just naturally when a player has had such a big impact and whose name is very centrally to the team, you're just naturally going to kind of panic about it way sooner than, than anything else. It's about not thinking before you actually start panicking. But the thing with Viv is, is it's quite interesting. I think because Viv has been starting as a 10 this entire season, I think that's just naturally a phase of adjusting to a new position. The start of the season, obviously she played last season, but that was mid-season. Whereas this season, you kind of, you know, Yono's had the entire summer. uh, You have the entire preseason to work Viv into this position. And it's an adjustment period, especially with new players around, with different style play, whatever Yono's wants to do, obviously. Um, Champions League group stage hasn't been the easiest. Uh, WSL, you know, you start off quite heavy, but 
it's it's a hard one to kind of talk about without knowing the full story behind it um because it could be mentally it can be physically um obviously she's had that that hand wrapped for i mean last last uh last champions league game she had both hands wrapped i don't know what she's doing if she's joined like a boxing gym or something so it could it could easily be physical just as mentally um but yeah the same you know viv is a great player so whether she's underperforming she's still going to be performing quite well to her standards um i just think also we're so used to seeing viv as a nine and as a nine she's going to be scoring a lot of goals as a 10 she's just naturally not going to be scoring that many goals so we've seen that drop off and it might be perceived as a bad thing without really looking into the the kind of standard of being a 10 and being a nine but then Overall, I do still think that she's not performing at his best, at her best um, at all. So it's just, it all comes to account. But then again, you kind of need to go that step by step to kind of not panic too much and kind of understand that, yes, while she not might be performing well, it's not the end of the world. And it's not that she's performing bad entirely either. It's just all these little things are accumulating and she's needed to rest. And to be honest, I'm not too worried because we do have a lot of midfield options and freedom Manham has been on fire so you look at what's happening and it's Viv deserves probably deserves the break that she's gotten and it probably would be good for Arsenal and Viv to kind of just chill out and kind of come back and reassess not maybe not reassess that's a bad that's a bad word to describe it but just kind of screw their heads on together and just get back at it uh, the way it was before but I think the break could probably do Viv some good, especially after the Euros. It wasn't necessarily a fun time for her, um, and she never really got that extended break. So I think it could be good for every party involved. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a weird one because I, I I kind of agree with the tone of the question that we're very quick to be quite alarmed about anything involving Vivian Medema, but at the same time, it absolutely is a conversation. If you'd have told me in like 2019, for example. Yeah, Viv's not getting in the team because Freedom Arnhem's come in. Um, you know, you'd be thinking, what? Like, who could take Vivian Miedema out of the team? So, so cl- like, clearly, clearly, I, I think she'd probably say herself, she's not at her absolute um, kind of top, top level. At the same time, I think you're right to say that there's some information missing here. Um, and that and that's both the right of the player and the club. We are not entitled to that information, whatever it is. But when there's a lack of information, then you get speculation. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of kind of, yeah, there's a lot of that flying around. There's a lot of, well, was it like she got COVID during the Euros and that hit her quite hard? Um, and I asked Jonas about that last week. But obviously, as I suspected, he said he wanted to keep the discussions private. So... I mean, we did give Viv rest this time last year. We yeah. gave the Australian players extra time off over Christmas. I think there is an element to which this is an important part of how Jonas sees managing the squad. And incidentally, just, just before we started recording, Andreas Jonker, the, the Netherlands coach, he, he came out and said basically he doesn't like the schedule, he thinks it's too heavy, um, and he's worried about players getting injured. And so and, and Viv's not the only one, it's Gilles Rourde as well. Um, mm-hmm. was kind of uh, pardoned, as it were, from from this squad because he said that, like, I don't want these players getting injured. And when you look around women's football at the moment, they're, you know, again, it's, Jonas... It's it just doesn't stop. It, exactly. Like, 
Alexia Putaeus and Sarah de Brits and Jennifer Marichat, like all these brilliant players who who play in the same position as Viv now. Like we've seen Leah Williamson twice, you know, in consecutive seasons now, be able to reasonably long term like I think they are connected. Like there might not be as many games as there are in men's football, but there are fewer players as well. The squads aren't as yeah. big. There's a smaller pool of players to draw on to play them. So, you know, I, I do think there is an element um, of that to it as well, e- even irrespective of Vib's individual circumstances, whatever they may be. Um, but yeah, I, that that was that was kind of a long one, but we had so many questions about it. I, th- I felt that that bared some time. And that was the question. I think that encapsulated the debate best. Um, this one's from um, Belinda, who is at Marnamit's Twitter. Um, Do you feel the squad is better suited to players being injured or rested compared to last season? And do you think this is due to, and if so, do you think this is due to players becoming more used to Jonas's style and management um, and how much did not losing any start- uh, any starting players in the summer help that? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's an interesting question. It's a hard one. Mm. The first part of the question was asking about whether we're like better place to to cope with injuries this season compared to last year with the the players who've come in and as as a previous question said played pretty well. I think that's very position based because I mean you look at the example again centre backs in midfield. Viv comes out, Frida comes in, top notch. Kim Little comes out, Jordan Lobs comes in, top notch. Leah Williamson, Rafaela goes out, Steph Catley, Lotta, level drops a bit, still doing fine though. Um, we are able to cope a lot more than last season, I think. And I also think it's just the growth of certain players that also come into play in that. But at the same time, a best Arsenal starting eleven compared to the starting eleven that we would have now is quite different I think um I think having Steph Catley playing in not her best position I think is gonna 
not impact us a lot because obviously we have Katie and, and Steph Catley has played there before, but it's just not her natural position and she is a very good player. You're not going to get the best out of her in that position. Um, I do feel grateful though for our midfield because again, Viv comes out, Frida comes in, Jordan Ops comes in for Kim Little. That sorted level stays almost the same. If anything, I think that Frida and Jordan are going to bring a bit more energy into the midfield. Um, and I'm not saying that Viv and Kim don't do that. It's just Viv and Kim have a very different style, have a much, much calmer style of play than, than say, Freedom and Jordan together, especially together. Um, and I do think that might benefit us more going into a game against Juventus, for example. Um, I think that very high-energy midfield could do us um, really well against Juventus. But, yeah, it's... I wouldn't say that we're coping better with it. I just think that I think the schedule that we have right now coming in with these injuries has been not too bad. Yeah, I I, I think that that's the key point here. Like during this this block of games, Leon away is the only one that I wasn't expecting to win and most of them I was expecting to win pretty well. I think we'll know more in the next block of games where we've got like yeah. United away at Villa, Everton, Juventus twice, Leon, and we're not going to have the chance to rotate very much because of injuries. That That's the bit that scares me, not the quality of the players coming in. I think you make mm-hmm. a really good point about the midfield as well. Like Jordan Jordan and Kim, completely different number eights, like complete opposites, which is why I think they actually work really well together. And yeah. Frieda's just really come in and, and made that 10 slot her own. And I'm fine with like with Lotta, Absolutely fine. I think Lotta, Leah, Hafaeli, I think they're all on roughly the same level. Um, like one of those, you know, Leah and Hafaeli, first choice, yeah. One of them comes out, Lotta comes in. No problem. No problem for me. Um, I, I think you're right. And I think the thing I think that maybe I'm a little bit anxious about is not is not so much Steph Catley playing at centre-back, but more it now means that Katie McCabe has to play at left back and she has to play every game there. And it means she can't play in the wide positions. And you're seeing at the moment Beth Mead, Caitlin Ford backing up a lot of minutes. And now Lena Hurtig, who's been, you know, slowly bedding in, has now like pulled her hamstring. So she's going to be out for a few weeks. Thankfully, the international break will absorb most of that. I think that yes. that's what scares me more. It's not the quality of the players coming in. It's the fact that the squad's getting smaller during yeah. a period where we're going to be we're going to be backing up some bigger games. I, so, think, I think this is our limit as to how far we can kind of hold up with the injuries that we have. Yeah, and on that note, obviously Jordan's pulled out of the England squad today with injury. So um, we'll, we'll see what that's about. And great times. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, perhaps form some kind of prayer circle. Um, and as as well as Viv, uh, another thing we had. Uh, well, sorry, another player um, we had a lot of questions about is uh, Gio Quiros, um, of course, who's on loan at Everton and and not getting many minutes at the moment. And uh, Jeremy Bradley at Jeremy Bradley forty nine and. At Adam Lanesra, uh, which is obviously Arsenal backwards, at Adam Sorta Four, um, both had similar questions as well. But Phil at Phil AWFC, uh, Brian Sorensen, the Everton manager, said of Gio before the Villa game, she's physically not actually ready to play more than 15 to 20 minutes. So we're working on that. 
How concerned should we be that she's been training them with them for seven plus weeks, but is apparently not strong enough to play more than 20 minutes? And I guess before I hand this over, Alex, as, as an additional piece of info, I mean, you might know this. She didn't go back to Barcelona, <laughs> um, you know, after, after her, her loan spell. So she didn't really have a proper preseason. I, I think she was training, um, but I think she was training on her own. Um, because obviously things got quite toxic um, at Barcelona, and, and I believe I'm right in saying she never went back there. And she joined Everton quite late in the window. Well, she joined us and then went to Everton quite late in the window. There was a lot of sorting out with the transfer. So, like, she didn't have a proper preseason. However, we are seven weeks in now. Um, are you worried about that at all? Um, to be fair, I'm not. With the thing with. Geos, it's a very interesting kind of player. And when you look at, I mean, she's 19 and she feels like she's been around for years and years now. The thing with Geo is that she's been, yeah, so she's been at Barcelona since 2020, well, with the first team technically. And then she went on loan to Levante, um, where I think she had an okay season. But I, she, you know, when you speak out at Levante last season, Geo isn't really the player that you'd speak about um and obviously with that and then with the Barcelona and the mix Gio hasn't really had a consistent season in for a couple seasons now um so it's understandable that she's still finding her way new team new league it is quite heavy especially when you go from not playing to coming to the WSL it is quite a big change but seven weeks in you would expect her to have a bit more minutes especially with the name that she carries around I mean she's an amazing player she's just she's never really had that consistent playing time with any club to get her to to her full potential I mean luckily she's still only 19 so she has a lot of time to kind of progress and grow into the player that she wants to be but it is it is very questionable that it has been seven weeks and we've not seen much of her but I think that also again I do agree that there's probably a missing piece of information here that would probably be the the key piece of information to really know why she's not been playing much but I'm not I'm not too worried it's still there's still seasons left if you can say but I think all I think I just think she needs a consistent club consistent playing time and I think we can see her at her best and again she signed for Arsenal she's 19 there's a lot of future there and there's a lot of time to kind of get her to that level so seven weeks I think it's fine for now yeah yeah i i think long term i'm i'm not worried this is is a a player i I know pretty well um and and the talent is just absolutely unquestionable um the the numbers she put up for levante um you know considering as well that levante are not i mean i i know that they um you know they got to the well they got to the champions league qualifying rounds uh last year but I, i guess the thing from her point of view the reason, one of the reasons she went on loan to Everton is because she's kind of on the cut. Well, she was on the cusp of that Brazil starting lineup. She's looking to break into the starting lineup. I, I don't think that's going to happen now. Um, but also, I asked Jonas about this because essentially, in hindsight, I think the loan made a lot of sense. But in hindsight, she probably would have just been better off being with Arsenal. And I mm. think she'd have probably got about the same amount of minutes like off the bench. And I'm looking at Beth Mead playing another 90 minutes against Leicester um, on Sunday because we didn't have anyone else to bring on, really. And I'm looking at that and thinking uh, we could have given Gio half an hour there. 
Um, but the, the the thing Jonas said when he talked about sending her on loan was he said she's been used to playing. Like you say, she's been playing for the last two seasons. And he said he didn't want to stop that because for a young player, it can feel like when you've been used to being like a starter for a club and then you're not anymore, it feels mm-hmm. like something's been taken away from you. And he wanted to, yeah. uh, to stay in a a bit of a flow and obviously that hasn't happened I, I'm not mega concerned if it if it continues like this I honestly think we'll call her back um, and we'll either use her ourselves um, and that's a, a position I'd be very happy with another wide forward um, quite frankly or else we'll find somewhere else for her to go on loan I think so yeah. I, I think I think if this is a bit if this ha- has been a bad loan that would be a shame, and that might not be Everton's fault, by the way. That would be a shame, but I think we can rectify it in January if we think we need to. So, um, yeah, yeah de- definitely um, a, a lot of a, a lot of questions about that, and I think understandably so. Um, th- this question from uh, Clive at Clive Bunting, uh, another regular, um, and obviously this relates to well, not just Manchester City. I believe Stoke and West Brom women have done this about moving away from uh, wearing white shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and for listeners who don't know, Manchester City women uh, will no longer wear white shorts with their home kit. They wear burgundy shorts now. And this is obviously around, uh, well, maybe not obviously, it, it, it's around like concerns around um, menstruation and things like that. Um, and so Clive asks, with teams moving away from white shorts, is it time for Arsenal to follow suit? Um, and... And, and I think like a secondary question here, which I think is really interesting as well. And is it important the women in men's teams wear the same kit or are there benefits in having distinct identities? We've seen with England, for example, the England women's team now have different kits. And let's face it, that's well, it would be a nice moneymaker for Nike if they actually made more than about 20 um, to go on sale. But so it's a bit of a two parter question like, do you think Arsenal should move away from the white shorts? And, and and actually, do you think that maybe it's time for the men's and women's team, you know, if Adidas are looking to make a bit more money out of merch, for them to have different kits anyway? It's Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, it's a hard one because you do understand and it is very annoying. And I think it is pro- like very wise to go away from the white shorts. Um. It's just, I mean, playing football just while you're menstruating is just very uncomfortable to begin with. And if you have to worry about staining your white shorts on top of that being on television to millions and millions at home, it's very stressful. And I do agree that we probably should go from from white shorts, but at the same time, it's not as easy as it sounds either. Because again, you have to bring in the brands, you have to bring in everything that goes into designing kit you know arsenal red and white historically um it's about changing a kit that's been there for ages and ages it's about designing something else it's about bringing money so it's it's hard it should be done but it is hard and i think it's very dependent on brands rather than clubs and players wanting to do good that makes sense yeah i i should um point out as well that uh, Jonas was asked about this a couple of weeks ago before the Man City announcement actually and he said um, that the players have been asked um, by Adidas about this a a few times and they've indicated that they're comfortable to continue 
um, in white shorts, and he says like he doesn't have anything to do with those conversations because it's a player decision, um, which it absolutely should be. I, I guess like an interesting um, counter argument. Uh, no, no, not a counter argument. I think this is a development of the argument. Look, obviously, I I have I don't menstruate, so I don't have like any <laughs> any. I know I don't have any skin in this game. So what I think is, I don't think anything. It's it's irrelevant. Like it's just down to the players. But I did read. I think it was Katie Wyatt actually a year or so ago in the Athletic wrote about this, and she kind of I guess offered like another viewpoint, which was like, well, so what. And, you know, so what if, like, menstrual blood shows on the shorts? We don't get funny mm. about, like, someone cutting their head and, like, oh, don't have a white collar yeah. because you might bleed on it or something. Now, and and look, I don't want to put words in Katie's mouth. The, the, the piece is on The Athletic, and I think she puts all the caveats in it, like, look, I know it's not that easy, and obviously different players will have different um, kind of feelings about it and things yeah. like that. But, but actually, if you were in a, like, properly – in the ideal world, no one would care. Um, yeah, you know, which, th- which is the ideal world, which doesn't yeah. necessarily exist. The other thing about it is that you can go about it a different way as well. So, if you don't want to change again, if there's Arsenal red and white through and through, if you don't want to change that, design undershorts that could potentially with technology that can absorb that, so players don't have to worry about it. Again, I mean, we're I think we're technically technologically advanced enough to be able to do that there's menstruating um underwear so it could potentially it doesn't just have to be not wear white shorts like there can be other alternatives but again it's just it's so dependent on external factors that have nothing to do with players or the club and that's the hard bit where that comes into it so whether players want it or not it doesn't mean that it's going to happen yeah yeah and actually there's um there's, I, I believe there's still a rule and maybe this is something that needs looking at, but like players, I believe in men's and women's football, if they wear like cycling shorts or undershorts, they have to be the same color. And it's the same if they wear strapping, it has to be the same color as their shirts and things like that. And and again, maybe that's, I, I, I don't know, maybe it has been, maybe it's being looked at, but maybe that's something that needs to be looked at. And maybe you say, well, actually, if they're wearing white shorts in women's football, like don't worry about it if like if they're wearing darker cycling shorts or something but again like a, a very like interesting conversation that's um that's out there um and that should be had uh so we're having it simple as that um this uh this this question is from l at uh, grass seasons who who got me a ticket for england usa so thanks l <laughs> um do you have thoughts on how jonas has grown into his role he's speaking a lot about team maturity and i think it's clear he's feeling a lot more confident and settled in terms of switching up the team dealing with injuries uh, and inquiries uh, etc and i have a thought on the latter actually um uh, but 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 do you have a thought on that have you seen like a development in Jonas? I definitely have. I don't know if it's for the better necessarily, but I don't know how to explain it. It's he's he's now grown into that role of he's very comfortable with his position and his position at a club like Arsenal and with the players that he has. Um and perhaps now you're seeing a bit more of Jonas being more strict with what he likes and what he doesn't like because he has he has grown into that role a lot more than what he did last season where he was still kind of adjusting. So you got to see a lot more rotations, a lot more players that you like, for example, that's play more. Whereas this season, 
he's a bit more sturdy and a more, bit more strict of of what he likes and what he doesn't. And you're kind of seeing the downsides to it just as much as the upsides of it. Um, and I think there's still a bit to go personnel wise and style wise to fully know what Jonas wants to do with the team. I think this season it's still not fully there yet as, as to what he wants to do, especially now with injuries and Viv and, and everything else, you know, it's just, he's unable to get into that consistent rhythm of, of fully playing the way he wants to play. Um, but I think I do definitely agree that he is a lot more confident in as to he knows what he wants and he doesn't want, he knows the players that he likes and he doesn't like. And you could see that a lot more with, with decision-making that he's making and the way that we're playing. It's a lot more Jonas based. And again, it's, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing for certain areas. Um, but look, we're getting results. We're playing, we're playing good football essentially. And, players are a lot more comfortable with Jonas in the sense that they are already used to them after one season. So there's a lot of benefits about Jonas being very confident in, in his position at the moment. Yeah, I I think, um, I mean, I guess he's always been like from the very first game against Chelsea, right? We've always known he'd be boisterous on the touchline and that takes a certain amount of confidence. And he said before that he, he almost does that deliberately because he wants like yeah. he wants his players to be intense. I don't think he, he still does that, but I don't think he does it as much anymore. And I think that's because he trusts the players to, you know, I think at the beginning it was like, and he talks a lot about how, for example, when we play some of these smaller teams and we're like 3-0 up after 45 minutes or something, he's very like, no, you keep going right to the end. Like, keep going, keep going, keep going. He talks about how he lost the league in Sweden once by one goal on goal difference. And he said it taught him you have to treat every second of every game. And he wants that intensity. I think mm-hmm. we see slightly less of that on the touchline now because I think he's 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 comfortable that he's got it I think that I don't know whether this is a development but like I actually really enjoy listening to his thoughts on the administration of the game just in general and actually I think he did that a lot last season you know look quite a lot of the time through kind of complaints and we both know Jonas has got a very like blunt um very blunt style uh when he talks sometimes and you know he was talking about multi-ball last season and he was like I don't understand why we don't have it you know the game the ball's out of play for too long he's obviously he's talked this season already about squad sizes and how there should be parity between Champions League and WSL squad sizes otherwise you end up in a situation with players you can't use in certain competitions and you know just just his thoughts in general and and he's talking he was talking about the Nations League last week and he kind of made that point that like I think it's a good idea that we have more competitive games but We've got to think about it the other side and getting more players to play these games. I actually, I, I quite enjoy listening to him on things like that. Um, and, and I'd have to say, like, I think Emma Hayes has always been quite good on a lot of that stuff as well, just because I think she's confident that she has like a status in the game to be able to say um, certain things, which I think are quite interesting. And I think you get more maybe from those managers. But again, they, I think they've got more on their plate as well. So like, obviously like Leicester and Aston Villa, they don't care whether Champions League and WSL squads are the same size. They don't want multi-ball because they don't want to help teams like Arsenal beat them. And so there is an element to which obviously Jonas is looking after the interests of Arsenal and and that's his job. But I, I do quite listen, uh, enjoy listening to him on that stuff. And um, it's interesting in his press conferences because 
sometimes if no one asks him about some of that stuff, he'll just say it. Anyway, sometimes he just comes in and he's just like, I'm going to say this and I'm probably going to wait for like three questions to see whether one of you asks me. And if you don't, I'm going to tell you <laughs> anyway. Um, so I, I think, you know, as, as a communicator, um, I think he's really interesting to listen to. I know you rub some people up the wrong way, but for me, that's that's all part of the fun. Um, this question then. Um, now, Arsenal have been linked very seriously via the Swedish press, and the Swedish press usually get this stuff right, uh, with a goalkeeper um, whose name I've completely blanked on, uh, D'Angelo, uh, D'Angelo, Canadian goalkeeper who plays for yeah. a Swedish club. Um, and, yeah, it, I mean, it looks like that's going to happen, basically, even though we just signed Kalen McKersey. So Dan, uh, Dante Smith... Uh, but Dan spelt as you spell Daniel van der Donk in Dutch. <laughs> um, why do you think we've been linked to a keeper, given that we've only just signed Kalen and Jonas seems to like Manu Zinsberger? I don't know. Um, it's very intriguing, I think. Our keeper situation has always been interesting since even since Joe Montemurro days. It might just be to have a third keeper as, as a choice and to have that second keeper option up for grabs, kind of. I think I think Manu is going to be number one choice no matter what, um, but it would be nice to get rotation once in a while. But I don't think our second choice goalkeeper is up to Manu's standards at the moment. Uh, so it might be just to have that competition in that second place spot to potentially start rotating a lot of games when you start getting more of those Champions League midweek matches and and stuff like that. Um, but again, like I mean, your guess your guess is as good as mine. It's our keyword situation always, has always been interesting. But I think Manu Zinsberger has had that. She's gonna have that number one spot unlock. But I, I think it could be nice to kind of have a different voice in the back a bit more often than what we actually do right now. Yeah, my I guess my working theory on this at the moment is we have seen Jonas make stopgap signings. Um, so I mean, he brought in Tobin Heath, and that was that was for a year. Um, he wanted Hafaeli last summer, <clears throat> but couldn't get her until January, uh, just because of the way the calendar was in Brazil. So he signed Simone Boy. And I think that was a stopgap signing because he wanted Hafaeli. He knew he couldn't get it till January, but he wanted a body in. So he's like, right, I'll bring in Simone Boy. And frankly, once Hafaeli comes in, I won't need Simone Boy anymore. And, and, and I wonder if something similar has happened here, maybe, because um, she plays in Sweden. Their season ends in November, so it's very difficult to get players out of Sweden in the summer. We saw that with Stina um, last season. We couldn't get her till January. So maybe it's just that that's the goalkeeper he wanted. Um, but he couldn't get it till January, so he had to sign. Maybe he had to sign someone as a bit of a stopgap, and maybe Kalen is that stopgap. You know, we played against mm-hmm. her in the Champions League last year, and maybe it was a sense of, okay, she's quite good. Um, and you know, we we haven't really had three goalkeepers for quite a long time. Uh, you know, we've had yeah. two and like an academy kind of choice. So. That's that's my working theory on it at the moment. If this move goes through, that maybe Kalen was um, was a bit of a, a, a stopgap signing, which I hope doesn't sound disrespectful, but I, I just I can't think of uh, can't think of any other reason. So let's, um, in fact, before we wrap up on the last one, 
uh, or I want to be the last question. There is another. I intended to ask this after the Jonas question, actually. It's from Alistair, who's at Alleyboy82. Jonas is being very guarded on injury updates this season. Do you think this is his personal choice? Um, or in the men's side, Arteta is also guarded with injury updates. Do we think this is an overarching club philosophy? I think it's more club. Um, Arsenal are good at kind of voicing what happens with players, but at their own time. (laughs) Um, I think that's just a general club communication standard. And it's not bad. It's just there. It's more of a, we'll let you know when we know. And that's that, um, however long it takes, basically. And I think Jonas has no reason to give updates if he doesn't know necessarily or if the club doesn't want to say that just yet for many different reasons it goes on what you said uh, Tim about I was going to tell you Tom my housemates my new housemate is called Tom so that name stuck in my head Um, you can be named Tom now Tim if you want Um, but it goes on what you said about how Jonas has that extra chip on his shoulder being a manager for a club like Arsenal Um, with the injury updates not only is it based on you know your oppositions get to know but also it's just a lot more eyes on it so if you don't want to say it right away until you have more thought process on it but again like the the other day in the press conference when you talked about Kim Little he said it was a knee injury but couldn't give any more details so I do think that Jonas is actually one of the better ones when it comes to having injury updates he tells you little things that give you somewhat peace of mind I mean it's not peace of mind because it's an injury but he gives you little details to kind of lead you on a little bit until you get the final answer from the official communication from the club. Um, But I think it's more of a club thing than anything else. Yeah, I I think it's a bit of both. This has always happened in women's football where there's like, it might not happen much longer, but where there's been less reporting clubs, if they can hide information from their opponents, they will. I, I think it's that simple. On Kim, they know. They know um, that Kim has an MCL injury and they know it's going to be eight to 10 weeks and they knew that. Um, But I understand why they don't say that. As much as that's frustrating for fans, I guess the comfort we take from it is that it's about protecting us from our opponents. What's interesting, I had like a a, a little chat with Jonas at at Colney uh, the other week and he was talking about, because I'd been at like the open training session and he was talking about how in Sweden all of the tra- all of the training sessions are open, and he was saying that like if you wanted to like work on set pieces or something, and you kind of say, ah, can you guys just leave for five minutes while we do set pieces? Like Swedish journalists are like, no, this is like freedom of speech. Free-. Like he's like very Jeez. used to a culture where it's like the journalists are like, nope, like very very liberal like attitude to media. It's like, nope. We're, like we're here it's all for our eyes and, and things like that and it's really interesting he was saying like it's really weird like he's he's found it um like odd being at Arsenal where it's at Colney and like no one gets fortress Colney like you can't get in there mm. unless you're supposed to be there kind of thing and and having that privacy so um yeah it, it's it's quite interesting but I, I think it's largely like something that's just always happened in women's football um yeah. because of the the level of reporting isn't there um, find the, the one we're going to close on always like to f- close on a fun question um, the good people at AWFC Home and Away who are at AWFC Home Away on Twitter have produced a little bit of a songbook um, 
for each of our players in the squad. And there's some bangers in there, it has to be said. I've heard a few of them on the North Bank at Meadow Park, but they've asked, and I'll, I'll put the link of this to, to this song sheet in the show notes. Uh, they've asked for favourite song from both of us. Um, Alex, do you have a favourite song or do you want to give me the indignity of going first? I think Katie McCabe's song is always going to be my number one. Yeah. I think it's a classic. <laughs> I, it's... Was sing- I was singing it in Madrid, on the streets <laughs> of Madrid. Me and uh, Seuss and Jesse, well, it was me and Seuss mainly, uh, we just started singing it out of randomly because why not? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So and, and that's that's been a staple for a few years now that we've got McCabe, Katie McCabe. Um I, I there there are loads of really good ones. So I love the she's red, she's white, she loves the veggie mic, Caitlin Ford. And I know the people good. who yeah, I know they, they made this up. Um the Stina Black Stinius to the tune of Karma Chameleon by um uh, by Culture Club as well. Um but the the best one, and I, I did hear this at Meadow Park, I believe, at the Brighton game. It's a song for Lena Hertig to the tune of Dancing Queen by ABBA, which which obviously, given the Swedish connection, is 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 pretty apt anyway, but lyrically very, very good. I'm not going to sing it because I want people to actually listen to this podcast, and I've got a little bit of a cold anyway. So, you know, it, it'll all be very raspy. excuse, isn't it? <laughs> it'll all be a little bit raspy, and I won't be able to do the high notes, but... Um, she's our magic Swede, Lena, number 17, on the left, on the right, having the time of her life. See our girl, cause a scene, Lena the magic Swede. I think that's that's wonderful, um, and that should become a real staple at Meadow Park. So, um, yeah, do do get on to that songbook uh, and have a little look at that because there is a song for every player um, and some absolute bangers among them as well. On that um, not-so-musical note on my part, uh, let, let's bring it to a close uh, for now. Um, Alex, thanks so much as ever for your time and your insight. Always a pleasure. And I, we, we'll try and do three podcasts this month to make up for the October um, <laughs> black hole. I've, I've definitely got another one lined up uh, for later in the month. Obviously, um, for those of you who don't know, the next game is Arsenal versus Manchester United in the WSL at Emirates Stadium on Saturday, the 19th of November at 5.30pm. Already 30,000 tickets sold, but that means there are 30,000 tickets unsold. It's a 5.30 Saturday kickoff. It's going to be a really, really good game. It's going to be a really challenging game for Arsenal and a really big, engaged crowd will help them. Um, And just a reminder as well that during the Men's World Cup, the women's calendar keeps rolling on. So um, there are other games at the Emirates, Juve in December, Lyon in December as well, a home game against Everton at Meadow Park in December. So while there's, there's a little bit of a black hole in terms of the men's domestic calendar, the women's keeps going. Um, and obviously, we will be across all of that on Ask Blog News in video, audio and written format. Um, but until the next time we speak to you, thanks so much for downloading and listening as ever. And we will not wait six weeks to speak to you again. Thanks and bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 